welcome to Docupied, a podcast about anime, manga, light novels, and industry news. I'm your host, Brandon, otherwise known as DocPay, and we'll jump right into the news roundup for this week. There's actually not a whole ton of news that I saw between the last episode and now, but there's a little bit of things that happened. First up, some updates on the anime delays. The Quintessential Quintuplets Season 2 was postponed to January 2021, so that got pushed back one season. I think it was due in fall, so we're now going to get it for the winter season. And My Teen Romantic Comedy Snafu, or or Origai Du, Season 3 has been rescheduled for July. So that's really interesting. I think this is the first uh, anime series that was delayed that's been like officially properly put back on the schedule. I'm guessing this means that production is complete or they've gotten used to or adjusted to the new workflow. And so they expect to be able to broadcast it for summer. thing I'm most curious about is how they're handling the voice acting and the, the voiceover recordings, whether they're doing that in studio or in home studios. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So we'll, we'll see. I do expect if they've announced it like this, that they will definitely meet the July broadcast date. So that's good news for fans, I guess, of which I am one and I'm looking forward to the show. But obviously you want workers to be safe, the animators to be working in safe conditions and environment and all that. I think that was actually it for the delays, aside from one bit of news that that Eiichiro Oda, the author for One Piece, announced the manga and anime adaptation are taking precautions to be able to resume during these difficult times, such that working all together in an office, for example, like a manga like One Piece requires, where it's completely done analog, they're modifying and setting that up so they're able to still complete the work and publish the manga for fans to continue reading. Moving on from the delays, we have a new anime announcement. It's an adaptation of the Vampire Dies in No Time manga by Itaru Bonoki. Not something I'm super familiar with. It seems interesting from the description, so uh, they didn't provide any other additional information with the announcement, whether when it will air, uh, how many seasons, or how many episodes. So we have no idea, we just know it's getting an anime actually talked about this, I think, on last week's episode, but Studio Colorado's uh, A Whisker Away, which was the uh, film with the Japanese title that I announced was delayed and pushed back pretty much the day after I recorded the podcast, uh, Netflix announced they'll be streaming it globally on June 18th. I guess this is pretty good news. I mean, I really wanted to see the film, and with everything going on, there was no chance we were going to get a screening of it anytime soon. So having Netflix pick this up and stream it globally uh, for everyone at the same time is actually quite interesting. And uh, we'll see how this goes for them. I'd love to see more anime films uh, simultaneously released everywhere without delays. But as anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows, I'm not a big fan of Netflix licensing TV series. However, films are an interesting and separate conversation from TV anime series. So I hopefully this does well for them and we get more anime films. 
Moving on, uh, Kodansha Comics announced five new manga licenses uh, that they'll be debuting digitally in June. So these are their uh, digital first series. I don't know any of these. I didn't recognize any of the titles. And none of them really stood out to me as something I'm personally interested in. But if you are, the titles are Stellar Witch Lips, Op Step Sing, Men's Life, Her Secret Life in the Boys' Dormitory, Abekun's Got Me Now, and When We Shout for Love. None of these are titles that I recognized the author or title for. Yeah, I'm just blanking on this one. But hey, for fans of any of these series or anyone who likes any of these authors, or if any of the descriptions sounded interesting, definitely go check them out. Speaking of new licenses, we actually have another new light novel publisher entering the arena. Tentai Books announced its first two licenses. The titles are There's No Way a Side Character Like Me Could Be Popular, Right? and Welcome to the Diner of the Exiled. Neither are titles I particularly am familiar with, but there are so many light novels out there that it's hard to say that I know more than I don't know. So take that with a grain of salt. I don't know if these are particularly big titles. Uh, I looked into them, and they seem to be somewhat uh, newer, shorter. There's not too many volumes for them. So they're probably tester series that the publisher gave them in the hopes that things go well. And if they do, they'll probably get more or slightly more established series. One fascinating thing about this publisher is they're based in Madrid in Spain. And they intend to release all of these series in both English and Spanish. I'm not sure how they're going to handle that. Um, this is interesting. I think this is a first for like a Western publisher to be doing light novels simultaneously in two languages or multiple languages. So I guess we'll just have to see how this goes. I assume they'll be translating them separately, both from Japanese and not doing some kind of weird relay, like Japanese to Spanish to English or anything like that. But I, I don't know too much about them. Uh, I looked at their website, it's quite sparse. Not a ton of information about them, just says that they're you know professionals and they love light novels and they want to help release more officially. So I guess we'll see how these series turn out. If they're interesting, I'll probably give them a shot especially if they're shorter. I have no problems sitting down and blasting through a single volume to give something a shot. No big deal. This is definitely a news story I'll probably follow up on at some point, especially once the titles are released uh, in ebook format where I can grab them, get my hands on, well, <laughs> not physically get my hands on them, but digitally get my hands on them and see how the titles are, see how their translation is, how the actual writing flows and the quality of the actual ebooks. You know, there's a lot to check out. Always keep an open mind. Hopefully, things go well and they follow in the footsteps of some of the more successful light novel publishers rather than some others that are struggling a bit more right now. But speaking of light novels, uh, this is the last bit of news, but that time I got reincarnated as a slime is entering the final arc of the story in its 18th volume. So these are the light novels. Uh, I believe the web novels are already complete. So this is for the light novels. Again, not the manga either, but the light novel. will be entering the final arc. 
we're quite a little ways to go for the English releases, and I'm always happy to devour each volume as they show up at my door. So we have quite a bit of time before the even the 18th volume shows up in English, but it looks like they're working to wrap up the story. And personally, I'm always a fan of author dropping stories up when they want to, and on the timeline and time frame that they think works for their story. So it's nice when a series says like, we're heading towards the ending, I know where I'm going, this is going to be it. The author, I think, also stated their intention to maybe publish side stories after the final main story bit, and I'm all for that. I love the world they've built up for Slime. I would read as many side stories as they feel like putting out. I know that's probably not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm the type of person who continues to read you know, every new canon Star Wars book, for example. I absolutely love that world, and you could tell me any story, and I'd read it. I don't need it to be tied to any character I know. Or, In fact, I liked it better. I like the stories better when they're completely unconnected to known things, usually. I love when an author sets up in a world that I really am invested in and like and tells a totally new story to me. And so the prospect of side stories and additional stories in that world post, you know, main slime story is great. I'd love something like that. But that's actually it for the news, like I said. So quite a light week, not a whole ton going on. So I'll jump right into my two recommendations for this episode. Here's your general spoiler warning. Again, I don't talk about anything specific to the plot uh, or how it develops, and I'm not going to spoil any major plot points for either of these series, but I will talk in generalizations about the plot direction, uh, the characters, and how I think or feel about this series. So there's your warning. I decided to uh, theme this week's uh, recommendations on one thing, and that is cooking or food. Now, you might be asking, Brandon, really? And the answer is, it was an accident. <laughs> so I had wanted to talk about a light novel series, specifically Cooking with Wild Game by Ida, and I thought, hmm, the other manga series I was going to talk about is great, it's fantastic, but I haven't actually talked about Delicious in Dungeon by Yoko Kui on this podcast yet, so I thought, oh, why not? Let's make it a food and cooking recommendation week. And so here we are. So I'm going to start off with the light novel recommendation for this week, which is, like I said, Cooking with Wild Game by Ida. The series is published by J Novel Club digitally. There are six volumes currently out. The seventh will be released on May 10th, and the eighth will be released in August. Or if you're a member of J Novel Club, you could start reading the simul published version for volume eight now. So I, I am a premium member, but I actually prefer to wait for the the full volume to be translated and finished, and then I'll jump in and read them, or buy the ebook and read them after that. While I do enjoy watching anime week to week, one episode at a time, for some reason I can't bring myself to do that for a light novel, where I'm used to getting a whole book and you know cover to cover it in a couple hours or less. 
Which I guess is kind of weird because I'm used to doing that for manga, reading one chapter at a time as well. I don't know. There's something different about light novels for me that I just want to read it cover to cover and not stop. Although I've also sort of gotten that way with manga in recent years, where I prefer to read the finished volumes rather than uh, week to week as it comes out. Well, anyway, that's enough about me. This is a recommendation. I'm only going to talk about the first seven volumes. I've read the first seven. I know this said the seventh is coming out on May 10th, but that's the ebook version, and I've read it on J Novel Club already. And I'm not really going to talk about anything specific to something so new or recent, but just know that I will be generally talking about the first six or seven volumes. Though kind of unsurprisingly, this story is an isekai, but once again, like the other ones I've been talking about recently, it is not your standard typical generic style isekai where you have some some person who dies or is otherwise transported to a new world given some crazy op powers and goes on to build a giant harem and take over the world and kingdom and blah 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 it's not like that i said we were talking about cooking today and the title is cooking with wild game and this series focuses on the main character asta he is a chef in training, I guess, essentially. His dad runs a restaurant. He helps him out there, and so he is training to be a chef. And some things happen, and he maybe dies and wakes up in a forest. In that forest, he finds himself caught in a trap. He's getting attacked by this like weird giant boar thing, and he gets saved by a woman named Ifa. So I and then Fa. And that's generally the setup. Ifa is a member of the people on the forest's edge, and they're essentially a bunch of hunters, not really gatherers, and that's specific to this uh, series and the plot. It's actually quite vital to the plot. They are specifically only hunters, not gatherers. For reasons that are tied into the story, they're unable to harvest any of the actual bounty of the forest, as they call it, and they're only allowed to hunt these big-ass boar things. That, as Asta quickly discovers, these people have no idea how to properly butcher or prepare or bloodlet this animal at all, so they've all been eating this, like, gross meat <laughs> all this time. And because of that, the settlement at the forest edge is somewhat near like a post town. There's a, a castle with an inner kind of castle town, and then there's a post town outside of it where there's lots of merchants and inns and restaurants and stuff like that. And so this story is quite small in scale. Again, this is kind of what makes it unique from other isekai, where this story is entirely set in that forest edge and that post town through the first seven volumes. It doesn't go anywhere else. In fact, I don't really see this story going particularly far ever, just because of the nature of the plot. And for me, that's totally fine. I don't actually need this to go anywhere. I don't need them to really travel. I don't need them to see the world. I'd love for the character to learn more about the world, or the characters to learn more about the world, because that means I get to learn more about the world. But I don't necessarily need the characters to be traveling around it. This isn't that kind of story, at least not so far. The main thrust of this story is that as a chef, 
Asta cannot abide by them being okay with eating disgusting food, essentially, uh, to start off at least. I thought the start of the story is completely indifferent to food. She says, like, it provides sustenance and that's it. That's all I care about. For, again, story reasons, uh, she is currently left alone in this settlement on the forest edge. They live with clans and she is currently living alone. So her father was her last kind of clan member and he died, I think they said like a year or two prior, which has left her to kind of fend for herself. So unusual to the settlement, Aifa is a hunter. This settlement plays on that somewhat typical male-female roles where the males go out and hunt and the women stay home and man the stove, which that's a weird turn of phrase, man the stove, now that I think about it. Anyway, that, that's kind of the point. They take care of the things at home and the men go out and hunt and bring back these giant boars, which they call giba. This new and interesting dynamic between a woman who hunts and a man who stays and cooks and mans the stove drives a good portion of the character interactions and development and really sets the stage for the kind of cultural revolution that they're going through, thanks to the introduction of, you know, bloodletting and new cooking techniques for this giba. So it is quite important to the story that Aifa and Asta are unique, different. They are breaking with tradition at the forest edge, forging their own path, and not caring how anyone else in the peoples of the forest edge or the port town view them for doing so. They decided they're going to live their life this way, that Aifa is dedicated to being a hunter, and Asta is obviously dedicated to being a chef. And so while you have some of that traditional gender role stereotypes going on in the broader culture of the people, Asta and Aifa are there to break with that. And I think they do a really good job of showing how the rest of the settlement interacts with them, reacts to them, and in general treats them. Then because they can't harvest anything in the forest due to, again, kind of story reasons, they have to go sell the horns and tusks in town and then trade those for money. They have an agreement with the lord of the region, and in doing so then they can buy vegetables they need to survive. So a big premise of this story and this settlement is that you have to hunt these big fierce boars in order to survive. So you have to risk your life, hunt them, kill them, and you can earn money from those kills. So you earn money from the tusks and the horns and the pelt and etc. But what they don't know and what they aren't doing correctly is anything with the meat, essentially. They have no idea how to prepare it. So Giba has an absolutely horrible reputation in the post town. Everyone thinks it stinks and it's gross compared to all these other meats. And Asta's like, yo, hold on. We gotta, like, you know, drain the blood. Otherwise, we ruin the meat. And he does that, and he finally starts to break through to Aifa that, hey, food can be delicious. It's not a thing she ever knew was possible. And so that starts to spread. And the direction the story goes is essentially that Asta is using his, I don't wanna say power, but he is wielding his influence as a chef within the greater like Forsyth's community and he's trying to spread delicious cooking and in his mind happiness to these people he's not necessarily trying to change them in any way he's just trying to show them that like 
you know, food is something to enjoy. It's not just there to take in calories. One additional point I kind of want to make is that this is not a one-way street. It's not simply that Asta is trying to change the peoples of the forest edge, or he's trying to do that kind of stereotypical white man savior thing. I mean, obviously he's Japanese, but like, you get the point. He's not coming in and like saving these people. And throughout the first seven volumes, Asta is actually being changed himself. He's being heavily influenced by their culture there and falls absolutely in love with the settlement, the people, the culture, and and he's kind of all in on staying there for the remainder of his life or however long whatever greater power sent him there for allows. The story doesn't hint at that at all. There's absolutely nothing there. He just wakes up in the forest and then deals with it. There is no explanation whatsoever. There are no like gods of this world that sent him there. There's nothing, absolutely nothing. He just, that's it. He's, he wakes up there and that's that. So he really doesn't know if he's going to ever be sent back or what's going on. So he is somewhat cautious in what he does and trying not to completely plant his roots there just because he doesn't know if he's going to be whisked away one day without his consent. But regardless, uh, so it's not just Asta trying to change or influence the people of the Forest Edge. He puts in the effort to become one of them. The main kind of thrust of conflict in the story is with the leading clan, the Soon. They're kind of told as this corrupt, well, essentially evil group of people who are currently leading the people of the Forest Edge. Again, that's due to reasons, and they've essentially become corrupted by, you know, money and the influence of the port town, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that that I won't get into, especially through Volume 7. Like, there's a lot of big plot developments involving that. But anyway, they're the kind of primary bad guys, I guess you'd call them, for a while. But a lot of the smaller scale conflict for the story in the first several volumes is just Asta trying to introduce his cooking to some of the other members of different clans and coming into conflict with some leaders of the other clans who are skeptical. And then eventually he meets some characters from the post town and he starts to do business there. He meets several groups of people then that become somewhat larger character presences in the story. And I really love that we get the occasional uh, side story perspective from one of those groups that really dig into how all these other people view what Asta is doing. Which brings up a point that this story is told from Asta's perspective almost entirely. He both narrates and is the POV character, uh, at least throughout the first seven volumes, and we only get POV changes on occasion. And usually it's told as like an epilogue chapter or a side story chapter or something like that. Uh, for the most part, it follows Asta. So like I was saying, it's, it's quite a um, smaller scale story with with a real focus on its particular theme of really cooking with wild game. In this case, what is essentially a gigantic boar, Giba. And the story really sticks to that, and it doesn't veer too far away from that. For the most part, cooking is both the thrust of the plot and a lot of the kind of point of the story. 
we're introduced to you know many different characters from many different clans people in the post town people from the castle as the story goes on the world that asta's in grows little bit by little bit by little bit and it's still very very small in scale and so if you're not necessarily into kind of a more detailed slower kind of meticulous story that is very much about spending a lot of time telling you exactly how asta uh, is trying to bloodlet and butcher something or his methods for cooking or characters learning that cooking or describing the food but like a lot of inter-clan politics and relationship and like character relationships if that's not super your thing then i mean that's what this story really is but if you can kind of get past what some people might see as a bit of tedium i think there's a lot to really like in this story and i don't really think of it that way at all i'm just saying that i can see how someone might view it that way so if you're at all interested in cooking isekai stories or isekai stories that don't really focus on fighting or battle or magic or anything like that, a very grounded, down-to-earth story that's very true to its premise and title, then I definitely recommend you check out Cooking with Wild Game. I wouldn't say it's going to blow your mind or anything like that, but I personally think it's a nice easy, enjoyable read that every time a new volume comes out, I'm absolutely cool to just sit down and chill and read it all the way through. Moving on to the manga recommendation, that is uh, Delicious in Dungeon by Ryoko Kui. So this series is published by Yen Press, and there are eight volumes out. Unusually, or I guess less commonly, it is completely caught up with the original Japanese release, so we are at eight volumes, both in Japan and here. So we have everything aside from the magazine-only published stuff uh, that hasn't yet been released in volume format in Japan. We're completely caught up. So we have all eight volumes. This manga series is also about cooking, but in this case, whereas Cooking with Wild Game, that series does have like fantasy ingredients, sort of, but the main character always relates them back to real-world analogs. You know, like a thing that's kind of like a, an onion, or something that's kind of like garlic, or, you know, etc. Things that's something like, kind of like pepper. And he uses that to create uh, dishes that he's familiar with, or that he knows goes well together with this boar-like meat. However, Delicious in Dungeon is basically what if we took D&D, and mixed it with Toriko. So for those of you who don't know, I guess saying mixing it with Toriko probably doesn't explain much of anything, but the point being it's a D&D campaign set in a dungeon where the objective of the players is to not, you know, investigate a mystery or complete a story or clear a dungeon, it's to eat everything that they run into somehow or find a way to eat every monster in that dungeon. There is, of course, an actual plot and story, but this really is just like someone who really understands D&D and dungeon diving, and someone who really likes to cook, decided to make a story about all of it. This is a comedy series, so it definitely does not take itself very seriously at all, uh, except for the cooking. The cooking is like, dead serious, <laughs> and some of the characters are absolutely dead serious about how, you know, particular they are with the cooking, 
and how important it is to them or how important it is to eat everything that they find and it's it's hilarious the story follows kind of a party of your typical knight your mage or healer got a your rogue or thief you've got your dwarven like tank and as the volumes go on as the story progresses they gain more members of their party but each of those characters definitely has a distinct personality you know kind of outside of the archetype of their class as any of you who plays role-playing games might identify them as like i just did and each one really brings something different to the comedy table so the main thrust of this story is that uh, the main character Laos and his party, which included his sister, at the start gets beat up by a dragon and his sister gets eaten. Now, this world is very kind of nonchalant about the actual dungeoneering and all of that, so they're not really worried about her dying so much as their inability to resurrect her if she gets completely digested. So the thrust of the plot is that they're going back in the dungeon to rescue his sister before she gets eaten and pooped out. If she were just turned into mincemeat, they could have probably resurrected her, but not as poop. So that's that's the story. In fact, throughout the uh, several volumes, characters die kind of all the time, and it's it's often played as quite funny, especially because they can be resurrected. So the series is very nonchalant sometimes about killing the characters, and it makes for some really funny moments for sure. So like I said, the main thrust of the comedy for this is them finding monsters, defeating them, and finding out ways to cook them and eat them. They do this in all seriousness. The in-universe reason for them doing this is that they're completely broke, and so they have no money to spend on supplies. And so the main character, or one of the main characters, Laos, the party leader, essentially suggests that, alright, we're just going to go in the dungeon, and we're going to fucking eat our way through it. And that's it. He decides that the dungeon has an ecosystem, and therefore it must be able to sustain life in that way. And underneath all that, his primary motivation is essentially that he just really wants to eat all that stuff and try it and see what it tastes like, that that's what they're going to do. They're going to go in there, and they're going to rescue his sister, but to do it, they're going to have to eat their way through all the monsters in the dungeon. In the Early in the first volume, they meet up with uh, a dwarf, Senshi. He's actually the one who teaches them all about how to cook and prepare a lot of the monsters that they run into in the dungeon, so a lot of the recipes are his. And the story really goes into detail about those recipes, which is hilarious because it's completely fantasy. So they take real-world cooking techniques and apply them to complete fantasy ingredients. And the seriousness with which the characters, you know, undertake this cooking is a lot of the humor, and especially the reaction of some of the other characters. The other main members of the party, Marcel is a magic uh, elf, and Chilchuck is essentially a halfling, or the rogue or thief of the party. And they both have, you know, hilarious reactions to some of the nonsense Laos and Senshi get up to, particularly with the things that they're okay with eating or that they are interested in trying to eat. And this group dynamic that they have reminds me of, you know, a fun party playing an RPG, uh, a bunch of friends messing around an RPG and deciding like, 
hey, what if we tried to eat them? And so they do. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But that's the fun. So the story really does remind me of just people playing an RPG or playing D&D and deciding that our story is going to be we're dungeon diving and eating everything we find. The artwork is, I wouldn't say spectacular. Um, It's good, and I think it does a really good job of showcasing a lot of the humor, uh, especially the character reactions to things, so the character faces, their expressions, and generally the flow of the cooking is quite well done. Otherwise, the backgrounds are kind of simplistic, nothing super huge to write home about, but the art does get better as kind of the volumes go on and the author gets used to drawing them, uh, these characters. So I do quite enjoy it, and I think it fits the, the story and the content really well. While you're not getting, you know, super high tier level artwork, you're getting really fitting, humorous artwork that I think the story is better for. I couldn't imagine this with a more kind of serious style artwork, and so this a bit more loose, nonchalant style works really well. One other aspect of the artwork that I think is quite strong is the paneling and layout for the story. I think the flow of the panels actually does a lot to really help and improve the comedy. Ryoko Kui, the author, really understands the flow of comedy and how to milk every situation for a lot of humor through the paneling and flow of the story. And so while the artwork is somewhat straightforward, the character designs are uh, a little simple, but I think that really works in its favor, where you get lots of great character reactions and like I said, the flow of the comedy and the paneling is quite good. So there's there's a lot that happens in the eight volumes that are out, but I've really kind of only talked about the first one in general, and I actually think that's where I'm going to leave it. I think I've given you a good enough taste of why I think this series is completely worth reading. It's hilarious, and I really enjoy every volume that has come out, and I've read the gimmick of gourmet D&D just doesn't get old for me. I think it's hilarious. And the author manages to keep it fresh by introducing new characters and new dishes and new cooking. And it's it's awesome. If you're in the market for an irreverent D&D RPG cooking comedy series, then absolutely check out Delicious in Dungeon by Ryoko Kui. That's going to wrap me up for this episode. You've got both my cooking-based recommendations for this week, Cooking with Wild Game by Ida, the light novel series published by J Novel Club digitally. Uh, it actually has a manga series as well, so if you're into manga, check that out too. And the manga recommendation, Delicious in Dungeon by Ryoko Kui, published by Yan Press. So thanks for listening. Feel free to follow my Twitter, I am DocPay, for updates. Subscribe to the podcast anywhere you want to listen. And please, if you like the podcast, leave me a review. Let me know what you think. I'll catch you next time.